it was just two years ago that the number of people over the age of 60 surpassed the number of people under the age of 18 in our country. And what's a compounding factor there is that the number of women between the ages of 35 and 55 who are traditionally the ones who care for the elderly, whether that's a paid caregiver or a family member, that group of people isn't going to grow at all in terms of demographic trends. So you have 50 million elders who are going to need support over the next two decades and a shrinking pool of people to take care of them. Welcome to this episode of Imagine Human. Our mission is to connect you with the change makers working at the intersection of social impact, science, and technology. I'm your host, Morgan Moncada. The COVID-19 pandemic has challenged our relationships with family and friends, encouraging us to adapt by using technology as a primary means of interaction. In this episode, we talk with Madeline dangerfield Cha, the founder of a startup leveraging technology to connect young volunteers with seniors in need of services and companionship. This technology is particularly relevant now during a pandemic when many seniors are isolated and in the near future, when the population of those over 65 outstrips the number of those under the age of 18 for the first time. Hi, Madeline. Thank you very much for joining us today on Imagine Human. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Morgan. Thank you so much. So I wanted to get started generally by asking you about Monami and how you got started with the company bridging the elderly with young students to foster not only connections between them, but also a new marketplace for services? Thanks for that question. It's been an amazing experience, honestly. I went to business school at Stanford, started there in 2016, and met my co-founder, Joy. She's a really incredible human, was a dementia and hospice volunteer from high school onward, worked for the World Health Organization on their aging team in Japan. It's just an incredibly old soul. And from the first day we met, we just knew that there was this great overlap of values and skill sets that we could bring to the table and complement each other. My background was in education and marketing, and I was raised by my single mom and maternal grandmother. So this intergenerational connection is really a fact of who I am. And Joy and I iterated on all sorts of different ways to bring the generations together. But what we ultimately landed on was having young people visit with their elders, particularly for older folks who have a form of a cognitive impairment like dementia, where you know getting to a senior center or partaking in a group of their peers can be a lot more challenging. But that return to their younger selves makes that connection with a younger person really powerful. So we had hundreds of matches and over 10,000 hours of visits with that original version of our company. Then COVID hit and we couldn't do the in-person parts anymore, (laughs) (laughs) at least for the time being. And so as you're describing, we pivoted our technology to really be more of a marketplace for volunteer efforts and particularly seniors in need as they're sheltering in place, but really any population that needs additional support. There's just tons of people who are eager to connect in new ways now that our society is undergoing so much change. I'd love to touch on that. 
but I want to go back to what you said about how you first started the company mm. and kind of iterated through different ideas. When you decided to go to business school, did you ever think that you'd start a company like this that is a more or less a social impact social network in a sense? <laughs> social impact social network. I like it. Um, that social was... impact network. <laughs> <laughs> That was my thesis for going to business school. And when I was working in marketing, I worked for a digital marketing agency called Essence. That was really a startup. When I joined, there were about 100 people globally and only seven of us in the New York office after I graduated from undergrad. And it was my first job out of college, a lot of young, energetic people. And within two years, the New York office had grown to about 100 people and they wanted some folks to go get set up in APAC. So moved to Singapore and started with a team of three and grew that to about 100 people in three years. And so loved this energy and what a small scrappy team can get accomplished way outsized for their numbers, but with their passion and commitment to each other, that feeling was just unparalleled for me. But I really wanted to get back to my roots in education and supporting families. And so my thesis for coming to business school was that I could apply some of those learnings from starting small, but bring them into a domain that felt much closer to my heart. And so in business school, you're taught to analyze the market and make sure that there's this is a viable space to start a company. <laughs> so what was kind of the analysis that you guys performed when you decided to do this? Like, why do you think that this is such an important problem to solve? Why your technology is particularly suited to solve it? And why now? I mean, the first level is the macro trends of how demographics in our country and in our world are changing. So obviously, people talk about the silver tsunami, which is sort of a terrible way to put it, but is still a pretty succinct way to capture the fact that our society is aging more rapidly than ever before. It was just two years ago that the number of people over the age of 60 surpassed the number of people under the age of 18 in our country. And what's a compounding factor there is that the number of women between the ages of 35 and 55 who are traditionally the ones who care for the elderly, whether that's a paid caregiver or a family member, that group of people isn't going to grow at all in terms of demographic trends. So you have 50 million elders who are going to need support over the next two decades and a shrinking pool of people to take care of them. So the idea that our society is going to need to innovate in order to make that happen is obvious and it's not going to be in any one sector or or company all of our systems are going to have to evolve and it was obvious to my co-founder and I that technology had a huge role to play in mobilizing more people who might not fit the typical bill for being involved in the care of their elders but starting as young as possible and demonstrating how valuable and meaningful these connections can be, you know, teach for America, but for elders, like catch the young people while they are um, still developing their sense of purpose in the world and show them what an important part they have to play in, in supporting our society as it ages. Yeah. So it's definitely an expanding need, but without necessarily the infrastructure in every sector to support them. And 
So it's like it's an, it's a mobile app and it's a, kind of a marketplace. I think of Uber whenever I think of these kind of new service-based model marketplaces, but you're obviously having a different user group on either side of that marketplace. You can talk a little bit about how you shaped that and came up with that idea. Totally. It's been a joy to work on, honestly, but is always using the design thinking process, like not clear where you're going to end up from where you start. So there are a number of wonderful classes at Stanford that really focus on applying design thinking methodology to consumer problems in order to find business solutions for them. And we really focused in on the adult child caregiver to a parent with dementia because the human emotion is just so fraught and acute that I'm grieving the loss of a parent slowly over time as they're right beside me. And the overwhelming feelings of guilt of not being able to do enough, even as I give over all of my time and energy to that challenge, it's going to grow more and more common. And so the design thinking methodology that we applied was given that pain, what can we create that helps to solve for some of those challenges. And for us, it was really how do we stimulate moments of connection and meaning and joy for an older person with dementia or Alzheimer's that will alleviate this feeling of strain and guilt for their caregiver, while also giving them a really meaningful way to connect. So we actually started with toys, and we were iterating around products that older people would respond, even as their mental capacity started to decline, because a lot of Retirement homes and memory care units order out of preschool catalogs because that might be the right mental level of stimulation. But obviously, all of those products are like primary colors and covered in dinosaurs and just not appropriate. But we wanted to be able to offer those joyful moments of connection and products that would really expand the sort of activities that folks could engage in together. And we iterated on a lot of different options and tested them out in nursing homes with some of our early partners, where my co-founder, Joy, and I would just go and visit and bring some different options and be testing them. But really, the thing that made the biggest difference was not the products that we were testing, but our presence as a young person, really focusing one-on-one with someone who just really wanted somebody to hold their hand and tap their shoulder and listen to wherever they were, meet them where they are, you know, thinking of their childhood and their own parents or even feeling uncomfortable in their own skin, just, you know, having someone to share that with them. And so we just put out a call on our campus where we were to see if other young people would be willing to embark on that journey with us and got, you know, 50 responses in 24 hours of young people who just really wanted to be able to make a difference in this way. And it, it was clear that we were hitting on something that families really wanted, but didn't have access to a screened, trained, really empathetic pool of young people who could come in and make a difference. And so what was that aha moment for you? You thought that you were delivering this product to these people who were in need, these elderly individuals. And then you decided, you know what, it's the interaction that I'm having that is more impactful than the product I thought I was building. Can you share a moment when you experienced that, like a particular one? Yeah, I mean, we were visiting a assisted living community called the Manor House, and we were sitting in this atrium, and I was holding 
these wooden blocks that were very beautifully painted and was in like sort of enticing this woman, Patricia, that I was sitting with to engage in them with me. And she would pick them up and enjoyed holding them, but was not at all interested in stacking the blocks. But when I would reach out and offer her another one and then take a block from her, and she was telling me about her dad and what a wonderful person he was, and I would say his name and ask her a question about him, like, what did Tom do for work? Or when was the last time that you saw him? Her eyes would light up just getting to talk about him because you know, that's her reality right now. She's with him in her mind. And just being together and having the blocks as sort of a a jumping off point allowed us to be really comfortable in each other's presence and to surface wherever she wanted to take it. In that moment, it was like, yeah, we don't really need to be focusing on the objects or the activities as much as getting the right people present. And the relationship that you're creating. Yeah. And not just, you know, a one-off activity or or visit, but having somebody who is building that knowledge and connection over time so that when I come back and bring up Tom again and talk about his time printing newspapers and, you know, like I am able to reach her in places that I know that she likes to go. And that safety and security really builds over time because there's a lot changing when you have a cognitive impairment and so much loss, but those moments of familiarity become even more precious, I think. Yeah. And it's interesting, this reversal in the relationship where normally we think that the elderly are providing for the younger people, that they're the ones providing them the toys, the experiences, the learning. And you're sort of harnessing empathy from younger people to provide that to older people who are suffering from dementia and kind of walking them through these early childhood-like experiences. But in some ways, instead of creating new experiences, rekindling the older experiences. Yeah. And I will say, because of that, the experience of the young people is so much more meaningful than we expect like being able to connect with someone. I have people that I've been visiting for two years and knowing so much about their history and seeing what really sticks with them as they've grown older, you know, their memories of their own children or of their parents and what shaped them. It's just such an incredible gift to be able to share it. So obviously I bring a huge amount with me and my energy when I when I visit and, and offer my empathy. But the most important thing really is the gift of time that we're both giving each other. And so how has that evolved into the user experience, I guess, of the students that are working with you and getting them engaged? How do you maintain that? How do you essentially use technology to build a relationship or help foster a relationship and then keep it going, sustain it? I mean, exactly as you were describing, like the technology features of an app that connect, you know, two sides of a marketplace on, you know, originally in our design, we had young people and mostly college students on one side, and then we had families caring for an aging loved one on the other. And we had some seniors who were booking on their own behalf who wanted more assistance with organizational tasks or learning how to use technology or getting to a doctor's appointment or running an errand. 
all the way to, you know, very advanced dementia where, you know, a, a living facility or a family member is booking on their behalf. And you can imagine that in that sort of marketplace, you would have an app that would allow for folks to exchange messages and create bookings and even share photos, all of which is part of our experience. But the thing that is often, I think, not valued in those platforms is the ability to like repeat book and to maintain a relationship over time. So the students take a photo after every visit and they upload it to the platform, which gets shared with the family member. And that is accruing into, you know, a storybook of their relationship together over time. And having that invites both members of either side to come back and revisit and really value what the app can provide in terms of sustaining their interactions. The family member can then say thank you through the system and send, you know, an emoji to the volunteer and and really let them know how much they're valued and appreciated and what an important part of their family really they've become. We've had volunteers who are going on outings to museums or, you know, going for coffee or just getting out in the world and family members just say like, I, you know, it's been ages since I've seen my mom smile this much. Like it's just such an important gift. And that's a really lasting memory for the whole family. Just knowing that their mom or dad is getting to be a young at heart spirit again. But I imagine a huge part of that is also creating a sense of security and trust. And that trust is so important with this application that you're building. Can you talk a little bit about how you create that and establish that? I mean, nothing more important than trust in this sort of environment. So obviously we screen and background check every volunteer that comes onto the platform. And because we're working with young companions and volunteers, then we're always checking a reference on every older person that comes onto the platform, either you know a family member is speaking on their behalf or a nonprofit agency or a caseworker. And then we are really thorough and particular about, you know, the information that we share and the information that we don't. So phone numbers in our system are hidden through a proxy. No one ever sees each other's last names. You don't get someone's address or location info until you've been approved for a match with them on both sides. And so we're really careful with the way that we share information and how it's held on to. And then we're also really purposeful about the way that that relationship starts. So when a volunteer opts into an opportunity to speak with a a senior, they give a few sentences about why they think they're a really great fit for this. And and it's their first introduction. And so they're saying, I see that you are really interested in talking about the Korean War and your experiences as a veteran. My grandfather fought in World War II and I'm of Korean descent. I would really love to share those with you. And, you know, it's a way of building that bridge even before they've ever spoken. And is there some degree of matching related to that? Like, are you kind of profiling the interests of the elderly partner in this exchange and the younger partner? Yeah, exactly. It's the most important ingredient in building lasting relationships is that sort of shared experience and and meaning that can come from that. So we can capture interests and languages and as well as, you know, location and, and availability that allows us to make really thoughtful matches every time. So you mentioned earlier that COVID-19 has caused you guys, because essentially this technology implies a human physical presence. And that might be through providing services like going to pick up groceries, helping out with 
technology problems or just simply spending time with someone. But COVID-19 has established essentially a global lockdown. So how have you pivoted the business while still preserving your underlying vision and value for the company? To be honest, we didn't really realize that we were pivoting the business as we started to respond to the crisis. It was like we stopped all of our visits in person before shelter-in-place orders were announced about a week before because we work with such a vulnerable population and we knew that the virus was spreading before people were symptomatic. And so we said, we're just going to pause everything and we will offer phone calls and video calls to everyone that we were working with and give them the opportunity to check in. A lot of the families that we work with have a loved one in an assisted living facility that's like 100% on lockdown, no one in and out. And that was really scary for everybody. And we started to expand that and say, you know, we don't just need to support the folks that were already in our ecosystem. Now that we're doing phone calls and video calls, that can be nationwide. Anybody who wants to sign up can use our technology to be able to match and get the information they need to make a difference with very little overhead for us in terms of, you know, we just need to make those matches and get them set up. And then they can make that commitment to speak to somebody twice a week for the next three months, which is where we started out. That led us to deploying the technology on behalf of other organizations that looked a lot like us, nonprofits that were supporting seniors with friendly visits and you know food support through their community centers that now needed to try and get a lot of grocery runs and prescription runs accomplished for folks who really needed to shelter in place at home, but didn't have any meaningful technology to scale that effort. They were working exclusively with spreadsheets and emails and calls and getting one or two grocery runs would could take you know, a staff member all day. Whereas with our system, you could easily open 10 or 15 if you had a pool of volunteers ready and waiting to, to be mobilized. So we started partnering with nonprofits and giving them access to our technology and onboarding their volunteers into our app and showing them how to, you know, surface new opportunities to make a difference. And so now for the foreseeable future, seniors are going to remain this really high risk group for the virus and need to shelter in place a lot longer, even as other restrictions lift. And we have a technology that will allow for cities and municipalities and their community service organizations to mobilize people to do those essential tasks well into the next year, assuming that that's what's needed. So we're starting with San Francisco and the Shanti Project, SF Village, and Open House are our first three partners, and they all serve seniors and are all pivoting in a number of ways to address the needs of seniors that have emerged at this time, but are really trying to respond as quickly and as docilely as they can, and our technology can help with that. And what does that look like in San Francisco right now? So we're serving thousands of seniors. We have over 5,000 volunteers recruited. The mayor of San Francisco you know, put out the call, and people responded right away. Some seniors are getting hot meals delivered from local restaurants. Some seniors are getting home-delivered groceries from the SF Marin Food Bank. Some are getting food pantry pickups and then lots of prescription runs or you know other really needed support, like someone to take out my trash or walk my dog, like little things that we take for granted that we're just seeing volunteers just come out of the woodwork in force. It's been incredible. Pretty amazing. And the volunteers, how are they discovering the Monami platform? Either through word of mouth, 
recommending to friends and family. You know, we're on sf.gov. Um, there have been a couple articles published about it. But really, I think the most important thing that we're seeing is people are Googling, you know, how do I help seniors at this time? And we're seeing a lot of web traffic that's coming to our site that way from all over the country, not just San Francisco, which has been, I think, for us, the brightest spot in the pandemic is just this awakening in our society naturally of the challenges of getting older. And particularly if, you know, you don't have a lot of family near you that can support like this, we have to be there for each other. It's like this awakening of empathy when people realize that this certain demographic is particularly at risk. And I think that feeling of like, oh, I've also been really isolated in this time and I know how to use technology and I can get out for a socially distanced outing. And God, if I were really at home and mobility constrained, this would be awful. And that's just a reality for a lot of the people that we serve. And I think as younger individuals, you and I, and I'm speaking for you, you take it <laughs> take it for granted how easy it is for us to connect with others because we grew up with technology and it's always been at our fingertips and we have like three or four social networks that we interact with our friends on. I've thought that the silver lining around this entire situation has been technology, kind of keeping companies going, whether it's through Microsoft Teams or through Google Meet. But then we also have these social networks that are sustaining our relationships. But the older population, the access that they have isn't as immediate. It isn't as natural because it's not something that they grew up with or their friends who are also older grew up with. We've done more Zoom trainings for people over the age of 70 in the last two months than I had ever thought we would need to do. But, you know, their their appetite and their appreciation for the existence of these forms of communication is enormous. And so it's, it's just another way that young people who are really fluent in these forms of communication can make such a big difference, you know, allowing an elderly person who lives in your building to get a Zoom conference sort of tutorial from you, then allows them to read to their granddaughter on Zoom. You know, like, it's just, it's so amazing. And I've just been very impressed with my mom's own ability to learn about technology and leverage it to communicate with her own family. Exactly. Necessity is the mother of invention. Like, now was the time we all got the push that we needed to prioritize this. Yeah. How has it been for you moving home to manage this shelter-in-place time and support your family? Yeah, as I mentioned on our introductory call, I flew home to help my mom with my brother who's disabled. And it was exactly as you said that's happening, that you're seeing across the nation with all these younger people kind of waking up to the shared humanity of getting older, being susceptible to a disease, and being susceptible to loneliness, which is exacerbated by the fact that there is this disease causing us to be in lockdown. And I went through that same reflection with my mom and when I was thinking about her in Indiana and my dad is in California with me, you know, trying to establish a place so we could move her out. But I realized that during this pandemic, she's essentially alone without help, someone to care for my brother, lift him and help her with him throughout the day like she normally has. Because any person who's just coming for a visit every day is 
presenting a new risk of exposure to the virus. So I was like, you know, now is the perfect time for me because I can work from home. All the companies are kind of adapting for me to fly home and spend this time with you. And for me, it's been just a really healing experience. I appreciate my somewhat small town of uh, Muncie, Indiana, like I've never appreciated it before, but also a lot of things about my relationship with my mom and the effort that she puts into her love for our family, whether that's growing rose bushes and sage outside, her own herbs that she uses to cook meals for us, or just spending time in the kitchen with her making banana bread and like learning how to cook from my mom. I feel exactly what I think your participants are feeling. You know, these young individuals getting to experience it. And it doesn't always have to be with someone who's in your family, but it can simply be with another human because there's shared connections that we have with anyone. And that ability to step up for each other in a time of crisis, like it's such an incredible privilege because, you know, it's what makes us whole. I wonder if it's also helping the younger people, these college students, mature in a greater way. I, I don't know if you maybe you could talk about that. I think the way that that has been made clearest to me is supporting some of our companions and volunteers who are applying to med school or other graduate school, and they're really reflecting on their experience as a companion and how it's shaped what they want to achieve in the future. And what I've observed is young people reflecting on how ardently they want to make a difference in the world for the better and how rare it is to feel like they are doing that now instead of preparing to do it later. And the ability to like help a senior in your neighborhood get what they need and like keep them safe is such an essential role to play. And it doesn't matter if you're 18 or 45, what you have to give is like valuable exactly as it is exactly right now. And I think that sense of, you know, I am, I'm training for something larger. I have so much to give over the course of my life and my career, but what I'm doing right now is just as important as what I will do in 10 years. And it's the small moments that can mean the most. What's your vision for Monami? How do you see this growing? Where would you like to see this? And where would you like to see the broader mission of getting younger people, bridging generations together? Where do you see the future of bridging generations together and new businesses servicing the social needs of others? We are very excited to partner with a number of organizations and cities to help deploy more younger people in service of seniors. One of the big challenges that we are hearing about is, you know, a lot of the volunteer pools that these organizations were working with were pools of seniors, food banks and church group organizations. Like there, you know, there are a lot of senior volunteers who now need to stay home and shelter. And so it really is time for the other generations to step up. And our app makes it so easy to do that. You download an app, you input a, a you know a little bit of information about yourself and then you start getting opportunities to make a difference nearby 
And, you know, we're sending folks to food banks to help out in shifts as well as directly in service to others. So we have a dream of being able to mobilize young people in service of their elders and of the community city by city across across the country. And do you see this as something that could potentially expand globally? Why not? <laughs> That's the vision, of course. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, my, my husband's British and certain that we will live in England for a period of time um, in our future. So we'll just have to expand across the pond. And do you have any kind of closing everything up? What advice do you have for young people interested in making an impact or maybe starting a company in social impact? It's not easy. And I think the thing that I didn't really reflect on before I started out was when you have the responsibility to a growing team because you are a business leader and the responsibility to your mission because you are serving a group of people that are underserved and really deserve your support. That is just such an enormous commitment to make. And, you know, I had some health troubles at the end of last year. And at the time I was like, oh my God, if I had, if I had a job where I could just like take a vacation right now, like, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> that is not at all to say that I regret my choice. It's just, I didn't really realize that it would be so all-consuming. And that is both a privilege and a huge responsibility. And I say, take it really seriously and know that it's the thing you have to be doing. It is your place in the world. I think there's nothing more rewarding. And I'm sure that it's very fulfilling to be working on something that's impactful, not only at a business level, leveraging technology in a really cool way, but also in a social level, establishing relationships between disconnected groups of people. Yeah. You know, we get to see those photos and stories coming out of screenshots of Zooms or, you know, socially distanced selfies, dropping off groceries, like it's amazing. Um, So I get these little pieces of people's lives intersecting every day. And that's, that's just incredible. So what are some of the next challenges for you that you hope to overcome in the next year? You and I were just talking about how we had a little bit of an email snafu yesterday. Now that we have new organizations on our platform, we have you know constituents who really need and deserve the ability to oversee what their volunteers are sent and when and what language is getting used. So we're not just designing for us anymore. We're designing for the ability for other organizations to have a voice that comes from our system. And at the same time, you know, we have one app, one Monami app that many of these organizations are using and consolidating their volunteers in. So finding a balance in how we support organizations while also making clear and understandable the role that Monami plays in, you know, as connective tissue is a new challenge for us that we're excited in grappling with. And it's kind of evolved from a two-sided marketplace to a three-sided marketplace. Yeah, there's like many two-sided marketplaces. Like each organization is their own two-sided marketplace within the larger one. Kind of like a franchise model. Yeah. (laughs) Like McDonald's. Yeah, something like that. Exactly. Just like little pockets of the Monami model. That's very cool. 
Well, it's great to hear that you guys are succeeding and adapting very quickly to the COVID-19 crisis in a really, I think, compelling and unique way. So thank you very much for joining us today on the interview. And uh, we look forward to talking with you again to see how you've expanded and you know, continue to transform the lives of others. Yeah, I can't wait. And I would love to hear more stories from Muncie. So we'll, we'll have to compare notes. Take care. Thank you for listening to this episode of Imagine Human. We hope this episode provided you an insightful glimpse into the impactful work being done by Monami to connect generations through technology. This work is important because it addresses a growing need that is relevant to each one of us. Care for our seniors, whether they are our parents, aunts and uncles, mentors, or members of our community. We encourage any listeners and subscribers to please check out Monami's platform at www.monami.io. If you like this episode, please check out our previous episodes on safe skincare, mental health, and longevity at imaginehuman.com. As always, please share, rate, and subscribe to our podcast via your favorite podcast app. Thank you.